We find people that basically can't make enough uh, to, to, to eat before they go into the fields. I don't believe that. I think that you're looking at other places that are not Central Romana. People actually who focus on and go like getting an orgasm never get one. Pull up your socks and figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red Oh, yeah. And well, the future is always uncertain. Whatever but more uncertain now. Uh, listen, Blue Ivy is six years old, Beyonce's age, and she tried to outbid me on a painting. Everybody in Atlanta right now at the Louis Vuitton store, if you black, don't go to Louis Vuitton today. In five. That's Four, why you need to take three, a meeting with two, Kanye West, Bernard Arnault. Hello, and welcome to Grub Stakers, the podcast about billionaires. I am Andy Palmer, and I am joined by my uh, beautiful boat-loving co-hosts. Yogi Paywall. Sean P. McCarthy. Steve Jeffers. And uh, this week, we are doing the monthly roundup. Um, and we all agreed that we would talk about the large boat that is still in the Suez Canal. <laughs> and uh, we'll probably be there for another month. I, I, I don't think this episode will get old. We're going to get this one edited and up very quickly. So by the time you listen to this, the boat will still be in the Suez Canal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we'll be, we'll be talking about the hydrodynamics, the economic impact, everything everyone wants to know about the Ever Given. Um and everyone is is just drooling over uh, while that boat is still stuck. But before we get into that, um, I uh, I wanted to say a few words. Um, I'm gonna I, I don't mean to bring the mood down at the very beginning of the episode, mm -hmm. but we lost a beloved friend of the show. Uh, he didn't know he was a friend of the show, but we did lose him, and so. Um, I thought I would just say, this week, Heaven got a new covert operator and radio personality. <laughs> the visionary scientist Zephram Cochran once said, don't try to be a great man. Just be a man and let history make its own judgments. <laughs> Few men have embodied that spirit more than George Gordon Battle Liddy. Whether it was taking a crowbar to a psychiatrist's file cabinet to expose the traitor and degenerate Daniel Ellsberg, being the lookout at the Watergate Hotel and forgetting to tell your colleagues that the cops were coming, <laughs> or blasting open President Kennedy's head with his best friend E. Howard Hunt, Liddy worked in the shadows, eschewing fame and glamour for a higher cause, working for a man who carpet-bombed Southeast Asian farmers. Liddy was a man of honor, after getting caught by the fuzz, Liddy asked John Dean, the White House counsel, to shoot him so as to stifle the Watergate investigation. Liddy even helpfully suggested that he do it at night on a D.C. street corner to make it look like a robbery. That's true. John <laughs> Dean refused, displaying a level of cowardice and avarice that would be on full display as he testified against all his friends at the Watergate hearings. John Dean later went on to write a book about the Nixon tapes that included a passage where the president and Bob Haldeman talked at length about how handsome he was. That's also true. Gordon Liddy, by contrast, refused to testify and served the longest prison term of everyone involved with the break-in. He would go on to have a distinguished career as a radio host and recurring role as the guy who makes Watergate documentaries interesting. Some people have described G. Gordon Liddy as a fascist. Accurately. <laughs> Nevertheless, the legacy of G. Gordon Liddy is best summed up by a tweet of his from 2014 where he said, 
I see that rat at John W. Dean put a Twitter block on me, but I can still see his Twitter pages. <laughs> Rest in power, G. Gordon Liddy. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm I'm pouring some uh, some protein smoothie out here on the floor, <laughs> just putting it directly onto my living room floor in honor of this great man who uh, gave all of our listeners good advice that if uh, ATF agents come to your house, oftentimes they are wearing vests, so you should aim directly for their heads. <laughs> and he said this on his nationally syndicated radio show. <laughs> So we we really lost a real uh, anti-fascist revolutionary That's right. with G. Gordon Liddy. Anyways, yep. um, uh, Yogi, you had you had some stuff too. You had some words to say about Liddy. I I don't really I, no, I got nothing to say <laughs> about Liddy. I think like all of the Watergate villains were just a more interesting and entertaining class of evil people. I feel like now we just have boring evil people. Like even Matt Gatz, who we'll talk about later, like he this guy never suggested murdering any federal agents. Right, right. <laughs> this is the this is the kind of Republican Party I like. No no member of the Trump administration requested that he be shot to preserve the <laughs> The legacy <laughs> of Donald Trump's White House. Right. The guy came up with like a literal Sopranos plot line. Mm -hmm. Isn't that kind of heroic? I think so. He's committed to he's committed to the bit. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the best Watergate burglar, and it's a shame <laughs> we've lost him. Steven, now you you have some opinions on G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> uh or the boat. You you got what? you got stuff about the boat? The boat? Yeah, the, that we're talking about for this whole episode. I mean, if you don't want to talk about the boat, you can talk about something else. This is an episode completely about the boat, but if you want to talk about something that's not the boat, I mean, you can go ahead and ruin the episode. <laughs> well, um, the boat is... So we don't, we don't know for sure if the boat will ever get dislodged, actually. Um, there was some talk of housing seniors in the cargo containers on the boat you know as affordable affordable housing that's a pretty good idea what? really yeah yeah actually you know g gordon liddy was trapped on the boat and he was unable to get food <laughs> and that's what ultimately <laughs> killed him he was in a shipping container <laughs> g gordon liddy at 90 years old had the new black ops idea <laughs> to finally kill john dean once and for all <laughs> but the plan involved smuggling himself in a shipping container <laughs> through the suez canal and he just could not have predicted getting trapped in there and starving to death he only took enough rations for like a month and not instead of two months <laughs> Little little did he know his nemesis John Dean was on to him and he flooded the Suez Canal. His calculations had not predicted the water levels that he encountered. Uh, let's see. But I do have a topic completely unrelated to the boat, though. Hmm. Nice. I guess you can talk about that. Whatever. <laughs> so you might have heard um, the name Archegos thrown around a little bit last couple days maybe in the business press oh, yeah guys. that's like that that's that face that uh manga characters make when they're coming right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought it was pronounced archigos but actually it's archigos anyway 
that's a um it's not a hedge fund but it's a family office which is sort of like an investment company but run by a couple of rich families who gave this one investment banker uh bill huang 10 billion dollars to play with on the stock market mm-hmm. in and he started that in 2012 and it grew fantastically for several years uh up until recently so last week on thursday on the 26th i think it was um he had been doing highly leveraged trades using money from a consortium of banks that included like credit suisse uh nomura um morgan stanley and others and he was leveraged about 10 times on average <laughs> but sometimes as much as 20 times wow yeah and he was um using these things called contracts for difference where like for every one instead of like getting say a line of credit to buy things with and having that as his leverage he would say like every time i buy one stock you're going to buy x of the same stock and then when i sell you will also sell (laughs) and it just kind of goes on like that for like a a defined period of time in the contract so he was buying and selling those contracts with them and then going out and buying what he said he would for the stock and he was buying um some sort of blue chip stocks but it wouldn't the the amount that he was trading wouldn't really show up on the sec filing reports that he was required to do for the family office Hmm. so it looked like he just had like you know a a somewhat large position but nothing really to scoff at Mm -hmm. or nothing to um sorry nothing to um really catch the eye of regulators Hmm. but if you already knew that there's like a huge consortium of banks making bets on his ability to pick winners in the stock market then collectively that was just like a huge like a whale out there that um, uh, they should have spotted a lot sooner, but unfortunately, so these trades went these trades went really wrong. And on Thursday and Friday of last week, well, last week from the day of this recording, it became apparent that he was just the stock moves of these companies that he was trading went enough in the wrong direction to where, given all the leverage, uh, he was basically in the hole billions and billions of dollars. And wow, yeah. Yeah. And um the banks were collectively exposed fifty billion in total uh, between them. And if they didn't do if they just did nothing, they would have lost tens of billions of dollars <laughs> and like possibly like th- uh, maybe threatened like the financial system a little bit, maybe. And it's kind of being played off as like sort of an isolated incident, which seems strange to me. Because it was just a couple of weeks ago that we were covering Greensill, right. and it's mm. it's being blown up, and one of the banks is in both of these things, hmm. Credit Suisse. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're in the Greensill debacle and and the Archegos one. 
Yeah, can I just say, like, just doing this podcast so long, I've just run into, we've encountered so many evil billionaires that when I hear the term highly leveraged, I just think, good billionaire. <laughs> this is a guy who's doing cool things. <laughs> like he took, uh, according to Bloomberg, he, he took something like five to 10 billion in assets and leveraged it up to 50 billion in exposure. Jeez. So, yeah. you know, that's that's kind of some king shit right there. Yeah, the thing about this trade trading, though, is just, even if the regulators knew to look, they wouldn't see everything that he was trading. Even mm. if they like ordered him to file like a special disclosure, if they were just worried or someone wanted to do an audit, the, a bunch of it wouldn't show up because it was just these like over-the-counter agreements with the banks. Hmm. And so on Thursday, when it became apparent that it was just falling apart, all of the banks held like a meeting, sort of like in the movie Margin Call, mm. <laughs> where they... um. Where they're like, all right, well, we need to just slowly unwind this position in the stock that we said we would buy in like Viacom and all these blue chip stocks that he was trading. Right. Mm -hmm. Highly leveraged. And if we just do it sort of clandestinely enough, it won't spook the market and we'll limit our losses. And Goldman Sachs was at that meeting. They're in the group too. Mm -hmm. And their people were, I guess, apparently they were just like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a good plan. And then they just told people to immediately sell everything at the same time. Wow. So it's just straight and dump so, at the end there, huh? Yeah. So like while they're at this like serious multi-bank uh, emergency meeting, Goldman was just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to go out. I'll just sell immediately. And then uh, the rest can suffer the consequences. Motherfuckers. So they got out somewhat unscathed. Uh, they probably got out the easiest, and then Credit Suisse got out among the most, among the hardest. Right. It's funny. It's funny that Goldman Sachs just doesn't have to protect their reputation at all. Like they can just be the biggest dicks on earth, and it's still, hey, we're gonna appoint the U.S. Treasury Secretary, so there's nothing you can really do about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they used to be the like the biggest baddie, like all of the the vampire squid memes. Mm. Or about them, basically. I think they've like I don't know where where they are in the power rankings today. In terms of straight evil, I feel like Deutsche Bank might might maybe surpass them. Maybe vampire cuttlefish. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so this could have it's fifty fifty ish billion in total exposure. If you count the banks. If you also just include Archegos going under, it's probably more like seventy billion. Wow. Yeah, it actually it's, ties into our earlier story because G. Gordon Liddy died when he opened his Robinhood account and checked his Viacom CVS position. <laughs> 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 we're seeing like we're we're preparing some uh, some JFK pieces for you, and we're our minds are just making connections all over the place. <laughs> yes. So Greensill, Archegos. Uh, it's about triangulation of assets. Yeah, even <laughs> <laughs> now, Chief. They said G. Gordon Liddy died under this tree where all the leaves were gone <laughs> in November. <laughs> but this is a Texas live oak tree, Chief. The leaves come off in March. <laughs> John Dean would not have been able to take this shot. No one could fire off these trades in six seconds. <laughs> no one could. Gordon Liddy pops out of the casket. Ah, not dead. That's called covert ops. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so good. Misdirection. By the, the, 
by the time this comes out, uh, G. Gordon Liddy has killed John Dean at his own funeral. <laughs> <laughs> this was like the ending of Hitman Blood Money, where he faked his own death oh, to yeah. lure his enemies to his funeral, <laughs> at which he would kill John Dean and all of the ATF agents that he invited. They found a loophole that, um, as a felon, you can buy firearms again if you die first. <laughs> So these banks don't fo they don't face no consequences, but from regulators. But uh, the credit rating agencies, God bless them, have stepped in and downgraded Credit Suisse hmm. and Nomura <laughs> for quote uh, concerns over the quality of their risk management. <laughs> Is Nomura a Korean bank? The Japanese Japanese uh, bank. investment bank. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know what I'll, I don't know what will happen to Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, or the other ones. UBS is also in the mix, I think. Hmm. Apparently, um, also Deutsche Bank had some exposure. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bill. So Bill Huang. The reason why he set it up as a family office is because he was convicted of insider trading in his last job. So he wasn't able to be an executive of just a regular hedge fund. So he did this like convoluted family office thing instead really? as a way to get money. Uh, yeah, as a way to solicit investors legally still. Hmm. And is that like the main difference between a hedge fund and a family office? Yeah, family office is like, it's a, well, it's just that. It's like a bunch of one or perhaps several rich families just lock in their family's wealth. I and see. It's, it's privately managed right. for like, long periods of time instead of a hedge fund where you are just taking in whoever's right, right. money on an ongoing basis. So I just, <laughs> like the, the FT is just sort of like, why would anyone give him more money? <laughs> <laughs> if he was, <laughs> he was convicted, he pleaded guilty to insider trading of Chinese banks stocks. In like 2011, right? Because he's willing to do anything to get returns. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that is kind of what we've talked about in all our hedge fund episodes. Though, is the only way to actually beat the market consistently is either to insider trade or to do these kind of like smash and grab rent seeking practices, where you like you mm -hmm. know grab some board seats and cut costs and juice the stock short term. So you know. The only people who are going to invest to hear with more about somebody the family, are like, including, of course, that's not an S&P 500 index well fund. Or just, rare, oh, I want the guy who knows the best insider trading family. tips. Then you need to subscribe so to our premium his conviction, yeah. if anything, is probably a selling point. You can also yeah, find out like more information either, about either our show and this episode on Or you collude with other hedge funds to just operate the stock price yourselves. Right. Sort of like what Melvin was trying to do, and then the GameStop people stopped that. Right. Mm -hmm. At least for a while. So you need to be, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you need to do what Wall Street bets did, but like, it's okay when you do it, though. <laughs> right, mm. right, right. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with Archegos. Uh, there's, there is going to be an SEC probe. I don't think much will come out of it. Sure. Uh, with any luck, they get downgraded to junk status for their debt. You think that'll happen? Uh, uh, the bank, sorry, the banks do. Sure, Archegos could file for bankruptcy. 
Yeah, because they were just too heavily levered, and then they got a margin call and just got wiped out. Um, yeah. Well, they couldn't meet the margin, so the banks had to attempt to just quietly sell everything. Hmm. And then Goldman just said, no, we're not going to do that. So they all just started <laughs> selling right away. It's like, oh, no. I Well, I guess we'll learn our lesson after the 1,000th time we learn not to trust Goldman Sachs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I like how in... in um high school uh when i would do like a project on the great depression and i would ask my dad he'd be like well there used to be this thing uh it was called buying stocks on margin <laughs> where someone would take out a a loan for stocks they couldn't afford and they don't do they don't have this anymore uh they got rid of it after the great depression and you know now it's it's right back at it right yeah <laughs> Yeah, some of the methods have changed. You know, there's different ways to get the same amount of leverage for margin or whatever, but it's the same idea. Anyway, uh, buy your stocks on a credit card. That's right. So like the the green sill, first green sill, now this. I'm just sort of feeling like, all right, well, this is like an extremely frothy market, and um, this is just sort of what happens when before possibly bad shit happens, where you just have crazy <laughs> stories where. Uh, tens tens of billions are just lost and people are like, ah, oh, that's normal. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> that's just a one-off event. It's not connected in any, any way. Yeah, I mean, it does seem concerning that Credit Suisse is exposed to exposed to two heavily leveraged blow-ups <laughs> in, in the course of like two Grubstakers <laughs> episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could have at least waited until we finished Kennedy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, true. The CIA said the same thing. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. We're really about to enjoy this series by the Grub Stakers. I did want to mention one other thing from uh, WallStreetOnParade.com, just kind of following up on everything Steve just said there with the Archigos capital management story. So, you know, he mentioned this guy, Bill Huang, got a 2012 insider trading. He, he pleaded guilty to wire fraud on that, which is why he had to set up, as Steve mentioned, the quote-unquote family office. But it's just so interesting to me that there's basically zero disclosure requirements for a family office, like just according to Wall Street on Parade, um, quote, there are no filings with the SEC to suggest it knows Archigos exists or how it operates. <laughs> and there are no 13F filings with the SEC to show the dangerous levels of stock exposures and leverage it had amassed through derivative contracts with some of the biggest banks on Wall Street. Um you know, this, uh, of course, raises the question as to just how much of this booming stock market is based on secret derivatives contracts between dodgy hedge funds and federally insured banks. So it just because it does just kind of open up this question where uh, a 50 billion dollar leveraged hedge fund can explode. And it's entirely unclear that the SEC even knew it ever existed. Right. Yeah. I don't know. People's reaction to this is like. I don't, I don't understand the business press are just kind of like, eh, the banks are still really well capitalized. It's all good. Yeah. And um, that is that is true. But, I mean, these things, uh, historically, it's not just like one sort of thing like this popping off before like some major crisis. It's like, you know, there's a couple here and there and people just say, oh, they're not connected or whatever. But they are. Hmm. <laughs> they usually are. So we just haven't found that connection yet. So that's how I feel. Yeah. 
And then the only other thing from that story I wanted to mention was um, they uh, state that of the major exposures Archigos had, uh, a big chunk of it was in Viacom CBS and Discovery, as well as uh, Chinese tech stocks. But apparently on the stock market in the last week, Viacom CBS has tanked 50% and Discovery has tanked more than 40%. And this is just because of what Steve mentioned with, you know, Goldman and all these others having to dump all their shares all at once. Right. This like cut the the cost of Viacom CBS in half. So, I mean, it's a significant ripple. Oh, uh, one last thing. I love that I was watching some of the business press about it, like CNBC about it today. Mm-hmm. And most of this, the questioning was like, is Viacom a buy now? <laughs> They're just vultures. <laughs> just... I'm trying to it. look at the look at the bright side that they'll have to cancel Discovery. <laughs> Star Star Trek Discovery. It is like you know, theoretically, we're on the cusp of reopening, and everybody's want to gonna get back to the casinos and the theaters and the airlines. So you have this idea in your head that I want to buy some stocks and get back into that. But then I look and I'm like, well, all of these valuations are totally fake. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if any of this is a discount, uh, considering none of this is real. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to scare anyone, but uh, for if there was like some sort of fin- a big correction or something, I don't know. Maybe like next year, the valuations are super stretched, but also earnings will be off the chain. So that will help them get back to a normal level so we'll see i think i think this summer is going to be like like when they ended prohibition basically right as far as economic performance i mean half of america it's an uneven uh recovery quote so half of america will still be struggling and then the other half will just be like it'll be like the the roaring 20s It'll be like flappers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we can't have the Great Depression until White Boy Summer ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. Not even the Great Depression would interfere with that. Thanks for listening to our free episode of Grub Stakers, the podcast about billionaires. You can continue this conversation over on our premium podcast at patreon.com slash grubstakers, where you can hear the complete episode on Lex Greensill mentioned in this episode, as well as hear Sean give the lowdown on a piece of Play-Doh doing an impersonation of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, who's also known as Matt Gates. Thanks again and check us out on grubstakers.net. And also, don't forget to comment and rate this podcast so we can continue to educate people on what billionaires are actually like without the PR hustle. <laughs>